0: Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We first lift up, Lord, you and thank you, God, for your grace and for your loving kindness and what you continue to give to us day by day, which is your mercy and your grace. And we thank you and we extend our our thanks to you for our brother, Joe, who is now with his family, and we pray that the work that you have work inside of him that you would continue to see that to completion and that somehow his family is going to be grafted into that wonderful work that you are are doing in Joe we pray god for his wife that you would soften his heart toward him and that you would give him the correct humble words to say to her we pray for his children that you strengthen them as he tries his best to be a loving example of what he has learned and what Christ has done on the inside of his heart and mind. We pray that you protect him, Lord, that you help him to get grounded and rooted in a biblical church. And that he continues, Lord, the, the progress and effort that you have worked in him here at this church. We pray for him that you let him feel our love, but more so, Lord, let him feel yours. Let him know that you are ever present with him. Now, Lord, give us ears to hear and give us hearts that are ready to receive. Give us minds that are alert. Give, us, give to us what we do not naturally desire, that is a desire to obey you, a desire to seek you, God. Pray that in all things that we say this morning, you are glorified. I decrease that you may increase. I become less so that you alone may be glorified for to you and to you alone. Be all of the glory, all of the praise, and all of the honor. For the glory of God and for the sake of Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 23. Verse 32 to 43. two others this is god's word two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him and when they came to the place that is called the skull there they crucified him and the criminals one on his right and one on his left and jesus said father forgive them for they know not what they do and they cast lots to divide his garments This is the king of the Jews. Verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly. For we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Remember me. When you come into your kingdom, and he, Jesus, said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is God's word. and Those who have ears to hear are blessed to hear. The Spirit of God says to the church, may be seated this morning. This morning, we come to the second of the seven sayings of our Lord Jesus Christ from the cross. As you know, we are going through a short series, the sayings of Christ from the cross. The second saying from the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ is found in verse 43 of the 23rd chapter of Luke. Verse 43, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. We saw last time that the first saying of our Lord or the first saying that our Lord uttered from the cross was in verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. These words were spoken aloud for all to hear. Think about that for a moment. These words were not whispered to himself. These words were spoken for all to hear. They were spoken, these words, in the midst of the most excruciating physical pain that our Lord ever experienced in His humanity. We will see that there is another pain, though, that our Lord will soon experience, and it will, that pain will transcend any pain that could ever be inflicted upon the physical body of the Lord Jesus Christ. But at the moment, these words of mercy leap from the sinless son of god at this moment his flesh was was racked with pain the pain of a beating from a religious mob his flesh was ripped to shred by roman soldiers who tortured our lord mercilessly and now his wounded beaten bloody fatigued human flesh hangs from from a roman cross by nails Nails in his hands. Nails in his feet. That are suspending our Lord on that cross. And yet, in the midst of that unimaginable pain, our Lord nonetheless utters these remarkable words of mercy. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. It was these words that we declared two points from last week, Behold your God, there is no one like Him. And behold your great need, your need to be forgiven by God. And now we come to the second of our Lord's statements as He turns to one of the criminals who was crucified with Him and says to Him, Truly I say to you, Today you will be with me In paradise. There are many amazing things that we could highlight about this statement from our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the amazing things about this statement though is this who the statement is directed toward. There are many amazing things about the statement, but one of the amazing things that must be highlighted as we begin is this who this statement is directed towards. Our Lord is speaking to one of the criminals. Who was crucified alongside him. And now, we must ask ourselves another question, or at least highlight another thing in our mind. Why is this so amazing? What makes that statement to this individual so amazing? Because when we first meet this man, this nameless believer we will call him. He is nowhere near being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark 15.30 we find both criminals, not just one, but both criminals. and Mark records for us that they were robbers. They are both saying, along with the crowds in Mark 1527, and with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, "Aha!" You who will destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and scribes mocked him, saying to one another, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Now listen to this last part. Those who were crucified with him, those, also reviled him. The crowds have gathered to mock and humiliate the Lord Jesus Christ even further than he has already been mocked and humiliated. They are reminding Jesus of his own words that he spoke in John 2.19 when he said, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. And now they are ignorantly throwing that, that statement, his statement, back in his face without realizing that he is actually accomplishing the very thing he prophesied. He saved others. Why can't he save himself? Let him come down. These are the the chants that are coming from the crowds. And they are also, interestingly enough and sadly enough, they are also coming from the two criminals who are also condemned and hanging alongside the Lord Jesus Christ for their own crimes. Even in death, there is no one who has mercy even in the midst of their own lives being taken, their own bodies being being ripped of life, they are railing, they are reviling, they are ridiculing the sinless Son of God. But within a short period of time, something has happened to one of those criminals. Luke 23 39, one of the criminals, one of them who was hanged, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now, this nameless criminal has continued his verbal abuse against the Lord Jesus Christ. He has not relented. Prove it, he says to, uh, he says to Jesus. Save yourself, and while you're at it, save us. It may appear to be a plea for help, but it is actually a plea or a, a statement of sarcasm. Help yourself, Christ. And get us out of this while you're at it. And then, the most unlikely person comes to the defense of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not Mary who is standing below him. It is not John who is also standing below him. It is someone who is crucified next to him. Verse 40, but the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Listen to that first statement. Do you not fear God? Even as you are about to face God, have you no fear of God? What a powerful question. You are on your way to death. Don't you fear God? What would you say to that statement? Or what would you answer to that question? What would be your response? This unnamed believer is not done. Verse 41, and we, he continues, we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. He's acknowledged that he's a sinner. That he has broken the law and that he is indeed justly punished. But look at his next remark. But this man has done nothing wrong. This man has done nothing wrong. Not only has he recognized and acknowledged his own sinfulness, but he has also, by the grace of God, been given eyes to see. He's been given eyes to see. God who gives sight to the blind has given sight to this blind man. And he has seen and acknowledged that Jesus is innocent. This man has done nothing wrong. And still, this nameless believer is not yet done. Verse 42. And he said, Jesus, remember me when when you come into your kingdom. Where? Your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, Jesus, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. (laughs) Here we have this nameless believer acknowledging his sin. Confessing the sinless Son of God. Confessing that Christ is also King. That He is sovereign over anyone who enters into His kingdom. And that Christ has the power to save. That there is another life. A life to come. And in that life, Christ is the King. Brothers and sisters, this man was sovereignly, mercifully, graciously converted at the cross. Now there was a question, or maybe there are many questions that should be screaming out in your hearts and in your minds, but the foremost pressing question is this, what in the world has happened to this man? That should be the thing that is r- r- raging in your, well it wasn't mine, raging in your mind. What in the world has happened to this man? What has brought about the transformation in this this man's mind, in his attitude, in his heart, that he would go from deriding the Lord Jesus to placing his faith in the Lord Jesus? And and not only that, but begging our Lord no less to remember him when he enters into his kingdom. Clearly, clearly, The Holy Spirit was at work in this man's life. We cannot deny that this man is unique. We don't find another example like this man in all of Scripture. Nowhere in all of Scripture is another person who is on the brink of death. Is there another person who is on the brink of death who goes from wrath to grace? Like that. I can't snap well. Like that. No one has ever come to faith. That we see in Scripture, like this man, he is one of a kind. Here is one who was graciously given eyes of faith and sovereignly enabled to see the glory. Listen to this He was sovereignly enabled to see the glory of Christ at its most veiled point, at its most hidden point. Why is this the most veiled moment of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, what is taking place at this present time? Our Lord is hanging from a Roman cross. He is helpless, battered, beaten, bloody, derided, despised. Not only is he stripped of his divine majesty, but he is also stripped of all human dignity. It was this scene... That caused the disciples, even the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, who had walked with Him for three and a half years, to run from this scene. You You may remember in Luke 24, the resurrected Jesus veiled His identity for a time when He fell into step with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And after the crucifixion, what did they say? We had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. But this man, this robber, this criminal, when at the lowest point of the the self-emptying of the Lord Jesus Christ, when his divine glory and messianic identity were most veiled by the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, this man proclaims that Jesus Christ is in fact The King. He pleads with the King with this astounding statement, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, and what is the response of our Lord? He graciously, He mercifully says, Truly I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. Well, there are just five Things that I'd like to highlight with the rest of our time. Now, here's the question that we asked What has happened to this man? Here's number one What converted this man? What converted this man? Now, there is no doubt that his conversion, as every conversion, is a work of the sovereign grace of God. That his conversion, as every conversion, is a work of the sovereign grace of God. Every believer has the same testimony in the sense that we are all saved by the sovereign electing grace of God. That is all of our testimony, that we are by the grace of God, by the sovereign electing grace of God, we have come to faith in Christ. Every conversion is the result of the sovereign work of the grace of God. Ordinarily though, God uses means to accomplish His saving purposes. Listen close. The means that God has used to save sinners, listen, is the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Amen. Apostle Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. God deemed that the means by which sinners turn from their sin is through the preaching of the gospel Steve Timmons this past week said the foolishness of the cross it is foolishness to those who are perishing it is life to those who are believing believe in a dead man who has risen from the dead who calls himself the king foolishness oh Yeah, rubbish only to those who are perishing, who have not sovereignly been given eyes to see and faith to believe, but life and life eternal to those whom God has graciously placed His hand of faith upon. It is through the spoken word that the Holy Spirit regenerates the hearts of sinners. It is a message of mercy to all who have been graciously given ears to believe, ears to hear. It is a message that proclaims, listen, the holiness of God. That we have sinned against, both in Adam and personally in our own flesh, the holiness of God. It is a message that points us to one who has been born of the Holy Spirit, born without sin, who perfectly obeyed the law of God and became a fitting substitute for our sins. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is Christ and Christ alone who has redeemed us from our sin and who offers us peace with God that we could never accomplish on our own. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. This is the power of God and the salvation. The gospel that has saved you and the gospel that has saved me. And yet, this was not the way this crucified criminal was particularly saved per se, or was it? What was the means that the Lord used, that God used to save this man? What caused this man to go from being a hater of God to a lover of God? This is a good question for you. Because you have people in your life that you are wondering what is going to ta- happen? How is it going to happen? What needs to happen? And I believe that it was something that Jesus did say that pierced the heart of this unnamed believer. And what were those words? Well, they came in the midst of the Lord Jesus Christ being reviled and ridiculed. They came when our Lord embraced in His flesh the pain and the shame and the mockery of the cross and of the crowd this man this unnamed believer he had the best seat in the house All attention is on the Lord Jesus Christ. All focus was on Him. All the crowds are calling for Him to save Himself. The crowds are reminding Him of His own statements that He's making. And they're now throwing it back in His face. The soldiers are playing dice for His clothes. And as people are wagging their heads at the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord utters these words for all to hear. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. These words that were spoken were spoken for all to hear. But they were only heard by those who have been given ears to hear. Those who had, by the grace of God, been foreloved and foreknown. And we asked this question last week. When do you think that prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ was answered? And we made the point does our God hesitate to answer any of the prayers of the Lord Jesus Christ? And we said, no. He doesn't hesitate to answer any of the prayers of the Lord Jesus Christ because Christ prays within the will of the Father always. So then when was that that prayer answered? And we said, well, it was possible in one sense a prayer was answered when that nameless Roman centurion witnessed all that had taken place and his testimony was, certainly this man was innocent and he praised God. Maybe that is when that prayer was answered. Or maybe seven weeks later we said at the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people who Peter described in Acts 3.15 as the ones who killed the author of life were cut to the heart. They repented of their sin and trusted in Christ and were baptized. Or maybe in Acts 6.7 when the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great number of priests became obedient to the faith. Or maybe it didn't take that long for the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ to be answered. Surely, God the Father does not hesitate not one moment to answer the prayer of His beloved Son. Surely there is not one moment spent in delaying to answer the prayer of His beloved Son because seemingly immediately... The prayer was answered. The prayer that was spoken for all to hear was answered when this man is given ears to hear. And he goes from derailing the Son of God to proclaiming Christ as King. This man was given ears to hear. And what was it that he heard? He heard Christ make a petition to his Father, not on his own behalf. He was not praying, Father, save me. He was praying, Father, save them. <laughs> he must have asked at that moment, how can this man not retaliate? How can this man pray mercy for this, these people? <laughs> and this unnamed sinner may have looked at the sign that was above the cross as he's hanging there alongside of him and said, that said Jesus, King of the Jews. And by the grace of God, he said, Yes. Yes, he is King. He is King of all. He is the King. He is King of this life. He is King of the next life. I must submit myself to this King, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what was the means by which the Lord saved this man? I believe that Scripture points us to the Gospel. Once again, for what is the message of the Gospel? But a message of grace and mercy. And it was mercy that Christ proclaimed from the cross to which this unnamed Sinner now believer comes to believe. And yes, these words are few. But brothers and sisters, the fewest of words can be used mightily by the Holy Spirit. The fewest of words can be used mightily by the Holy Spirit. And you should take great comfort in knowing that. In knowing that You don't need to look to the next man and say, I wish I were as eloquent as he. You don't need to look to the next man or next woman and say, I wish I was as wordy, as as proficient with the English language as he or she. No. Brothers and sisters, it is not eloquence or the amount of words that is the power of God in salvation. It is the gospel that is the power of God in salvation. It is sincerity, it is faithfulness to God in His Word that God uses in mightier ways than you can ever imagine. Be faithful to God. Trust the Holy Spirit that He blows where He wills. I can remember a story by a a man by the name of David Platt who was telling how he went and was sharing the gospel. And as he was going, he began to read to a sinner this track. And he stumbled through his words, and he fumbled through his words. And at the very end of that track, he says, and Jesus wants is offering you forgiveness. Do you want that? And he kind of looked up at the man Unsure of himself. And the man says, Yes, I do. And his response was, You, you do? <laughs> really? Yeah, I do. And he prayed over that man. And you never know what God can do in someone's heart. Trust God the Holy Spirit. Number two. Yes. Our Lord gives grace in times of agony. Verse 43. Truly I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. Think about this saying. Our Lord is in, again, tremendous pain, but there seems to be a calmness about what he says. This is a moment-by-moment escalation of suffering at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Suffering intensifies. Pain escalates. There is a pain that intensifies each passing moment that eventually leads to one's death and demise. His pain is not subsided. His pain is ultimately leading to his death. And yet, in the midst of escalating suffering, in the midst of intensifying pain, in the midst of death that is rapidly approaching, The Lord Jesus Christ, mercifully, is able to offer grace, the grace of God, to a dying sinner. How does that strike you? We who are constantly looking for ourselves first in the pages of sacred scripture. So then where do you find yourself now? We who have eyes wide open for ourselves What does this passage say to you then? Well, we know first and foremost it proclaims from the mountaintops to the valleys and to the shining seas behold your God, there is no one like him. Amen. Amen. But I wonder if you are able in any way possible to see yourself in the action of the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you mean? Here is our Lord midst of the most intensifying pain that he has ever experienced, and even still, his own pain, his own suffering, is not uppermost in his mind or in his heart. Rather, what is uppermost in the heart and mind of the Lord Jesus Christ is offering mercy to sinners. And here is the thing. Our Lord Jesus Christ did not allow his own pain, his own suffering, to prevent himself from administering the mercy of God to a person who was in need. Our Lord did not allow his own ailment to stand in the way of showing mercy to one that was in greater need than himself. This man was on his way to to face the wrath of God. Jesus was enduring the wrath of God for him. Our Lord recognized the great need of mercy that needed to be needed to be administered. He recognized the sovereign work of God in quickening this dead sinner's heart, that he would even say such a thing. And our Lord seized the opportunity to do what? To take this man with him to paradise. Now ask yourselves again. Where do I see myself concerning my own life? What will you do when pain and suffering ransack your life? What will your response to the local church be? What will your response to those who are headed toward a Christless eternity be? Will you reach out to those who are facing the wrath of God in spite of your own pain and in spite of your own suffering? Or will you close yourself in from the world and focus only on yourself? And brothers and sisters, it may be escalating pain. Hear that. It may be pain that in your own life is moment by moment intensifying. And you must ask yourself, Will we be more concerned about ourselves or more concerned about others who are in greater danger than ourselves? Will we miss opportunities because we are so absorbed with our own pain, with our own suffering, that we cannot see anybody else but ourselves? Will we refuse to see anyone but ourselves? Where we refuse to see people around us because we are so consumed with our own painful sufferings. Where we close ourselves in from the world and shut everybody else out. And, and let me just say real quick no one will ever dismiss the pain that you may be in. No one may never dismiss even the intensifying pain that you are in. Yes, pain is real, pain is legitimate but will your pain pause your love for others who are in need of mercy? Will your pain pause your love for others who are in need of mercy? It is amazing, and maybe you can answer this, it is amazing how when we are suffering, we stay away from church and the communion of the saints. I would love to ask one of these days, why? Why do we do that? Why do we stay away from those who want to love us? Who want to encourage us? And I think that if we consider our reasonings, our reasonings will all begin with I. I don't feel like being around people. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to hear what I already know. And dear brothers and sisters, let us take a note from our Lord who when he was in the depths of his greatest pain, when he was in the midst of his darkest hour, he did not withhold mercy. But he puts the needs of others before his own. Third and, not finally, but next, Jesus sheds light. This is a short point, but I think it's important. Jesus sheds light on where he was between death and the resurrection. Jesus sheds light on where he was between death and the resurrection. Verse 43, Truly I say to you, today, not tomorrow, not next week or a hundred thousand years from now, today you will be with me in paradise, there are those from the false teaching word of faith. I'm going to say it again. There are those from the false teaching set of word of faith. Who are you speaking of, Pastor? I'm speaking of everyone like the T.D. Jakes. I'm speaking of everyone like the Joe Osteens. I'm speaking of everyone like the Kenneth Copelands. And you name it, they're in that same boat. Quote me on that. who make the claim that when Jesus died, he went to hell. And that he suffered in hell for three days. And that he was in excruciating punishment in hell. And they will teach that Jesus was being brutalized by demons and beaten up by Satan. And they were overseeing this brutality. And just when they thought they had Jesus defeated, Jesus stood up and said, that's enough, and took the keys of the kingdom. Now give an offering. That is not what scripture says. Concerning where the Lord Jesus Christ was when he yielded up his life in death. Verse 43, Truly I say to you, today, not in three days, today, you will be with me where? In paradise. Jehovah's Witnesses have a false translation of this text. They read, today, comma, As if there is a time period, a time frame between what the today is. You will be with me in paradise. As if to say not today, but actually someday. That is an incorrect way to read the text. And that is why the the New World Translation of the Jehovah's Witnesses is a work of heresy and should be completely rejected. And quote me on that as well. Seventy-five times our, our Lord uses this dramatic phrase, truly, truly, amen, amen. And never once is there anything like today. Never once is there anything like what the Lord Jesus Christ says in this dramatic phase, uh, phrase, Today you will be with me in paradise. Truly, truly, amen, amen. The word paradise is used two other times in the New Testament, Second Corinthians 12 and Revelation 2. And in both of those places, paradise is this, the presence of God. The presence of God. So while the body the Lord Jesus Christ lay in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea his soul was rejoicing in the presence of his father and who would be with him at that great moment this unnamed believer can you imagine the Lord Jesus Christ grabbing him by hand in spirit and saying rejoice with me it is done This is what we all look forward to. This is the moment that we all look forward to. What about the body of the Lord Jesus Christ? It was in the tomb. It was watched over and kept from decay by the power of the Holy Spirit until it would be reunited on the third day. And again, we too can look forward to that reunion. When our bodies, when they leave, when our souls leave this body, this presently decaying body, we can look forward to the day when they will be glorified anew, reunited reunited anew, soul and body, glorified with the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a great reunion that day will be. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. We will be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Albert is with the Lord Jesus Christ in paradise. What a joy it is to know that. That just as he took that unnamed criminal by the hand and they went rejoicing into the presence of God, so our brother did as well. Take comfort in that, those of you who know him. Four. Notice the words, with me. Verse 43, Truly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What did the robber ask the Lord Jesus? Verse 42, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. And what is the reply of the Lord Jesus Christ? Remember you, remember you today, you will be with me in paradise Jesus is answering this dying man's prayer this man did not fully understand though, or fathom what his petition really meant what he was saying when he made the petition Jesus responds remember you you are now mine and you will be with me this is a side note was there anything that this man had done any good work that we are told of that this man had done No. So for the Jehovah's Witness, or for the Mormon, or for every other religion for that matter who says, I must do good things in order to get to God, you must ask them, what did the criminal on the cross do in order to be accepted and embraced into the kingdom of God? He by grace was given faith. It is faith alone that saves you in Christ alone. You will be with me, he says. I was privileged to hear our our Pastor John preach at his father-in-law's burial service. And he made a wonderful point. A point that I thought was so striking at that moment, especially considering those who were there. A point that people often overlook when thinking about what is to be treasured in the life to come. When we think about heaven, some of us have conjured up in our minds a myriad of different treasures that we are looking forward to. Mostly in our minds, though, about what makes heaven so glorious. For many, the glory of heaven is the prospect of seeing others who have long passed before us to be reunited with them. For others... The prospect of eternity without pain is the glory of heaven. And for others still, mansions and streets of gold is what they deem as being the glory of heaven. But our pastor John is well versed, well taught by the grace of God. And these were not any of the points that he pointed to as being the glories of heaven. John pointed to the same point that the Lord made to the thief on the cross. And the same point that I pray that you are seeing this morning that the glory of heaven is not our loved ones. The glory of heaven is not the absence of pain. The glory of heaven is not even the glimmering stones that you may or may not see. But rather the glory of heaven for those who have repented and trusted in Christ alone for their salvation will be the central theme of all of heaven and that is the crucified, risen, Lamb of God. Namely, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the glory of heaven. He is the joy of heaven. He is all of the splendor and majesty of heaven. It is Christ and Christ alone. Today you will be with me. All you need to say. All you need to say. You've said it. Don't say any other words. With me, I'll take it. Christ makes himself the joy of heaven. The joy of the kingdom of God is wrapped up in Christ. And throughout the Gospels, you hear over and over again, I am, I am, come to me, come to me. It is in essence saying all that you desire, all that you long for, all that you, you, you yearn for is wrapped up. It is found completely in Christ alone. Christ is what the man finds in the field that causes him to sell all that he has. Christ is what the woman at the well embraced as she forsook all other husbands because she found her one true husband that she'd been waiting for. Christ is what caused Zacchaeus to go from stealing money to giving it away because he found a greater treasure in Christ. Is being with Christ your desire? And I think it's a troubling statement for some people. Because if I don't find Christ attractive now, then what makes me think that I will find him attractive later? To be with Christ is far better. The hope of heaven is Christ. He is the glory of all paradise. Fifth and finally, the remarkable last-minute conversion. How many people think, how many people do you think actually when looking at this criminal on the cross concluded that man is going to hell? (laughs) Can you imagine of all the people that stood by and watched thinking all three of these people are condemned under the wrath of God, not knowing that one of them was God, and that the other one was on his way to be with God. Imagine the scene. Almost everyone looking on would think these men are cursed, not knowing that two of them are blessed. Never would anyone have ever thought that that man was under the sovereign hand of God and, and actually brothers and sisters never think that anyone is beyond the sovereign work of God never think that anyone even in the midst of death even brothers and sisters on their deathbed never think that anyone is beyond the sovereign work of God because he is in the business of bringing all of his sheep even the staggering ones even the lagging ones He's in the business of bringing all of his sheep into his fold. I was blessed by the grace of God to share the gospel with one person that all my life I struggled to to communicate with. My grandmother. I don't speak Spanish. I know food. But I worked up after 30 four years 35 years the courage and by the grace of God the strength and thank God that he equipped me even at that moment to be able to explain the gospel because I think if I would have tried to do it maybe two years earlier I would have completely messed it up but through the translation of my mother I began to share with my grandmother who was raised Roman Catholic Grandma Your works will not save you. There is not one thing that you have ever done. There is not one prayer to Mary. And Grandma Mary is not who you pray to. And I went through every single thing that I can think of. And at the very end of that, she affirmed. And I prayed with clear mind, with clear conscience, with a soft heart. Yes, I believe. I believe that. And I believe that just as God the Lord Jesus Christ welcomed this unnamed believer he also embraced my grandma Kuka. (laughs) We all have a grandma Kuka, don't we? (laughs) (laughs) She embraced Christ and she rejected the worst works-based system of Catholicism. Don't ever think anyone is beyond the outstretched hand of God. Even in man's dying breath, God can give life. Even at the last moment of the last hour, God will bring His elect to Himself. Take comfort in that. Take comfort in that. Let's stand. Lord, we come to you now graciously, humbly, thanking you, Lord. That we were that criminal on the cross. And in every single one of these instances, Lord, we are seeing ourselves. We were Barabbas. We were the religious Jews. We were those who were calling out, save yourself. We were the Roman soldiers. And you, because you are extravagant in mercy, you gave to us what we did not deserve. Life that could never be earned, never achieved, but only given by grace and received in faith. God, we come to you now to celebrate your marvelous, perfect work. We celebrate redemption that has been accomplished, redemption that has been applied to the elect, and the redemption that will one day be consummated as we one day celebrate with that unnamed believer who will no doubt come and introduce himself to us and we will then we will then know his name welcome those who are members of the church of this local church the church of Lord Jesus Christ members of Reformation Bible Church we welcome you to the Lord's table this morning